welcome back to the Ghastly Podcast, where in episode four, we're going to be talking about the Amityville Horror from 1979, continuing with our haunted houses theme. Now, last episode, we looked at the film The Haunting, and I think that even though they're not that far apart in time in the grand scheme of things, I think the Amityville Horror and The Haunting, even though they both share a theme of haunted houses, are actually very different films. Mm. I think you could potentially say that the Amityville Horror is kind of a predecessor of the contemporary haunted house film. Mm. But before we get onto that, Nick, can you just tell us what actually happens in Amityville? Yeah, okay. So the film itself, 1979's Amityville Horror, is based on Jay Anson's The Amityville Horror from 1977, which is a book. And it's allegedly based on the real-life experiences of the Lutz family. And this is George Mm -hmm. and Kathy Lutz, who've just recently moved into a new property in Massachusetts. And just recently, there was a terrible murder that happened at the house where a man called Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot dead his entire family with a shotgun, basically. And there's a suggestion that he was under some kind of malignant influence when he did it. And so throughout the film, we basically remain with George and Kathy as they start to experience strange happenings inside the house of all different kinds. And there's a priest who tries to come and visit the house and he he, he falls incredibly ill and then um, mm. that creates a subplot of its own where the priest is trying to secure a, an exorcism for the uh, the couple so that they can they can save themselves from whatever's in the house but eventually the film culminates in uh, George preparing to shoot his children dead with a shotgun but Kathy swoops in and she's able to save him from doing it and he kind of wakes up from his sort of trance-like possessive state and they are able to escape the house just in time. But they do actually head back and grab the dog as well <laughs> before Aww. they escape completely. So Thank they leave goodness. everything else, but they save the dog. So it's great. It's the kind of house they don't build anymore. A relic of a time when the world wasn't in such a hurry. When there was still time for a little charm and elegance. It has stood empty for a long while. And at the price, it is a bargain. For a growing young family, it is almost too good to be true. What do you think? I love it. James Brolin, Margot Kidder, Rod Steiger in the Amityville Horror. God's peace in this house. It's completely tonally different from The Haunting, for sure. And you can feel that there's there's a real departure here in the sense of how the house is being treated. It's much less Mm. gothic, I think, than than The Haunting. Um, It's less about the house in this case and more about the land, perhaps, which mm. I think we'll get onto in more detail later, won't we? Mm. Of course, the house is sort of anthropomorphized in a similar way to, to Hill House. It has these two kind of windows at the front of the of, of, of the house the that, evil eyes exactly and fun fact the the owners of of this actual house got the the shape of the windows changed so that they didn't look like the iconic eye shape from the film what, so that because they were sick of everyone them. saying <laughs> yes i think so i think they're just sick of people rocking up and being like oh god it's the it's the horror house i guess that's the thing with amityville this is again this is another trend that i've noticed a lot recently which Mm. I think is really 
starting to come into its own perhaps at this point in the 70s of the whole based mm. on a true story horror mm. film yeah just make it even scarier this really happened well i think amityville kind of started that whole trend off um mm. and continued for what is it like 15 more <laughs> films and God, books and spin-offs and i don't know i've never i don't know about you but I've never I've never watched any of the Amityville stuff before watching this. So I, I kind of went in with quite well what I thought was quite an empty understanding of what Amityville was, but then when mm. I watched it I understood I, I, I understood the premise immediately because it's gone on to influence so yeah. much of the output of horror in like the last two decades. Like you know? to us from our twenty twenty one perspective, it almost kind of looks a bit basic, very generic. Mm. But actually yeah. this is kind of the one that started it all. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if this is completely true. I'm sure somebody will come out and say, uh, actually, this kind of haunted house film has been going since like 1969 or whatever. Well, please let us know if actually Amityville is just one in a long line of of white American family moves into lovely looking house. But oh no, it's haunted, etc., mm. etc., based on a true story. Nonsense. Yes. <laughs> please let us know. But as far as I'm aware, this is the first one I can think of. And you see echoes of it in The Conjuring, in Insidious. Yes, well, The Conjuring is actually, I don't know if you knew, The Conjuring is kind of, it's not based as such on the Amityville horror story, but it's mm. a part of the wider universe. Because, okay, this has gotten to get slightly irrelevant because they aren't actually in this film. Because crucially, neither of them were actually there in the Amityville case. And also, oh. they are both in real life a complete pair of frauds, in my opinion. Um, but <laughs> whole Ed and Lorraine Warren, the Warrens Shade. in The Conjuring, for example, they mm. so they apparently came to Amityville after the Lutzes had left and like did a little bit of paranormal investigation. But The Conjuring kind of takes the Amityville story, obviously changes it and fictionalizes it more. Again, not that this isn't already fiction, which we'll get onto later, in my opinion. <laughs> um, and it kind of situates the Warrens and Warrens as the saviors of this family. And mm. yeah, I appreciate that they couldn't get their grubby little hands on this one or on Jay Anson. Mm. And that actually, for once, we get that kind of because I think also just the Warren is it Annabelle as well the Conjuring Annabelle yeah that's that part of the, the same it's universe all yeah. the Warrens yeah so technically because <laughs> the Warrens this is the Conjuring for example is Amityville kind of repurposed it mm. is all part of the same massive cinematic universe so mm. not only is Amityville kind of the precursor to these haunted house films it's like oh my god they're all actually so intrinsically lit it's kind of like the Marvel of horror films. It's like, you know, can we please watch something else? Yeah, once? and they, um, what do you mean? Like, everyone dies, mm. but then they manage to reset a new timeline and Ugh. the whole thing starts again for 16 more films. Um, we're good, Ugh. we're going, churning out some more content. Yes. <laughs> I don't know, it's impressive how it's been going for so long and mm. how it's been able to shapeshift and kind of take on new sort of interesting meanings. I think Insidious in that sense is more of a departure from Amityville, but it does contain the same kind of... Yeah atmosphere um yes it is very what you said about the conjuring centering on lauren and ed lorraine lauren and ed lorraine <laughs> <laughs> you mean lorraine, lorraine and ed warren lorraine and ed warren let's um, not cut that that's funny <laughs> it takes them and it places them as in the kind of heroic um mm. position in the film but in amityville no one really comes to take up that heroic no. position you have the I priest that's interesting yeah all the help is impotent the priest yeah. tries 
Priest tries, but then he's kind the evil of force he, are too strong for him, and nobody yeah. believes him. Nobody else in the rest of his. I don't even know what's the priestly word for it. Church, I yeah, don't know, church. diocese, I don't, yeah, you know, something like that. But yeah, like, like yeah, whatever. exactly. All of his colleagues are like, "Don't you dare! We're not giving you, you know, the we're not giving you clearance to to perform an exorcism or have a an exorcism performed. You know, this is ridiculous." Mm-hmm. Um, and he really tries to go for it, and he fights the the case. Um, then he goes blind. Yeah, so I felt quite sorry for him. him. He got a really raw deal. Richard. What is it, Father? I can't see. Father. I'm blind. But fair enough. I mean, if there's something evil there, wanting to stop him from getting rid of it, I was going to say, what do you think out? about the atmosphere of the film and kind of the tension and fear? Because this is something interesting. Because obviously, like we just said, there is mm. no real help that can come. And even at the end, they only really manage to escape by sheer. Like nothing is resolved. The haunting is not resolved. In later films, Ed and Lorraine Warren kind of come in, wave their magic wand after obviously some trials and tribulations, mm. but largely things manage to go to a happy ever after mm. or at least the haunting gets moved away whereas in this film yeah. it's literally just george and kathy are literally driven out and then at the end it literally we don't even see they're driving away and then the title mm. card comes over the end like george and kathy just left they didn't even get the possessions they live in another state end of end of film and that was it but at the same time even though there's that pervading sense of hopelessness i did also think it was interesting the way the tension of the film kind of ebbed and flowed because it was very mixed with kind of domestic scenes in a way and so yeah. i thought it was interesting how it'd be kind of a scare and then where it was other films at least i think the modern day haunted house genre sorry not to constantly refer to it as if it's just one cohesive thing but there is more of an idea of building tension whereas mm-hmm. you know i feel like we're constantly alternating between day and night in amityville like george and kathy and the kids trapped in this house and all these outsiders like coming in and not understanding mm. and even obviously they don't understand and that's bad I think these scenes do still, in a weird way, drop the tension. What do you think? Did you find it a scary... Not that we're scared by anything, obviously. But did (laughs) you find it a successful, scary film? I think this is tied into my... Like, whether or not I perceive the Amityville Horror to be a successful film, full stop. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah? And? I was... I was a bit... I was so... It's it's a fairly long film. How long is it? It's it's nearly two it's, hours, I think. It's definitely it's like... around the two hour mark. Yeah, uh, one hundred eighteen minutes. There we are. So yeah, bang, almost bang on two hours. But I was so confused when it ended because I was a bit like, really, was that was that the climax? You know, um, and that's what makes it hmm. an interesting film because, as you said, the whole time the 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 tensions being cranked up and then it's being released and then our focus gets diverted elsewhere um maybe the priest subplot you know maybe george chopping more wood angrily Mm -hmm. in the front garden or the kids doing something weird with this with their imaginary friend um or the (laughs) wedding which is quite an interesting topic i think we should come back to the wedding um but i enjoyed the fact that there were things happening that weren't getting clear 
solutions or or the fact that the 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 build up or the the kind of the arc wasn't happening in as as sort of clean and predictable a way as you know with other films you know because i think the conjuring for example is a lot more neat in the sense that it builds up to this basement based um climax you know with the mother yeah. when she's being exercised and all this um but with this film it gets to the bit when they they head down to the basement with george's employee and his wife his um yeah you know paranormal she's sensitive to to, to paranormal <laughs> presences isn't she um yes. they head down to the basement the dog sniffing at the wall and they they break open um a portion of the brick wall to reveal this horrible red room that and his face just exactly, kind of floats in front of for a second yeah and that's that what was I also a weird, weird. Moment, but yeah sorry carry on <laughs> kind of like a mirror almost that was kind of weird um but that immediately reminded me of insidious and that really made mm. me understand where insidious had got that from the idea of kind of like a strange red red ward room you know um so that immediately locked me in i thought oh okay here we go you know this is this is where it starts but there wasn't any escalation i felt from there and then you get george coming back to save the dog um which i thought was i thought it was good as a as a premise to then have something more significant happen at the house you know but he ends mm. up just falling into a into a bowl of goop and then yeah he, he he gets himself out runs out with the dog and then they drive off and i was just a bit like oh okay cool yeah Credits. i mean this is the thing i don't know if we're partly also i suppose desensitized to it again because we're looking at this from 2021 we've seen loads of horror films in this vein so like yeah, when, a bit true. where it's like oh i'm gonna shoot the not shoot the kids kill the kids mm. i'm like well, he's obviously not going to kill the kids. Obviously, mm. Kathy's going to stop him. Well, yeah, well I don't know. Yeah. I guess obviously because... So Amityville was really successful at the box office, right? Mm. And I think maybe at the time, maybe some of the people who were watching it wouldn't have been that familiar with horror films. Whereas I guess now yeah. they're much more of a... Not to say, okay, I'm not to just stop spouting a historical nonsense that like nobody watched horror films in the 70s but i mean something that because it was record breaking mm. i'm presuming that there would have been a portion of its audience who perhaps did not watch that many horror films previously and so mm. might actually have found the tension much more genuinely appealing purely because they're not as familiar with the conventions of mm. commercial horror films mm. i don't know that connects quite interestingly to what people have said about how the film riffs off tropes that have already been set up within the genre previous to 1979. For example, Mm. I've read that the priest subplot is very heavily influenced or at least believed to be influenced by The Exorcist, which makes a lot of sense. I thought that as well. It does feel a little bit awkward um, because I think there's so much time given over to this subplot and it doesn't really seem to bring anything more significant than us understanding that this is something unholy even the catholic church can't handle exactly and then it kind of exposes the sort of the the sort of um tedious bureaucracy of the church and 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 their own fears Mm. and and this kind of thing but it does feel kind of like it's just sort of yeah there you know and it's not Uh, tied in and and i I think that's interesting the benefit of the doubt but at the same time i just i just don't feel like this was a comment on church bureaucracy somehow i just don't mm. feel like it was a deep political <laughs> message so well, yeah i know exactly what you mean sorry what were you gonna say i was just gonna say do you think because something else that i've um i happened across was 
a lot of people picked up on on the the symbolism of money in 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 this film and whether it's a comment on financial struggle um so i wanted to know what you thought about that do you have any ideas i can definitely see how you could interpret the film like that given that money seems to be such an underlying theme so obviously right at the start of the film um, I remember just that conversation with George and Kathy where he's trying to convince her to buy the house because it's like we could never afford like mm. a house as nice as this if it was at a normal mm. price, et cetera, et cetera. There's a the whole um, episode with the money going the wedding, missing. Yeah. And so I think perhaps um, you could kind of interpret, you could kind of see that underlying theme and kind of interpret the like the horror and the anxiety-inducing elements of the film as kind of an allegory for what it's like to live in financial precarity. I mean, what do you think, Nick? I'm assuming, did you read an article um, about this? I think it was a couple of comments on a forum, uh, but I think it, it, it is, mm. it's quite a common take on the film, I think, from, the, from you know, what I gather. Um, I think it works quite well. I think yeah. I quite like it. And I think that's quite an interesting take on the house, you know, as, as, a, as a trope in horror. Um, mm. because I think with, with the haunting, you saw the house as, um, the embodiment of an evil presence. You know, they say that the house itself is kind of anthropomorphized yeah. and made into a character of its own. And it, mm. it, it exacts a kind of power, um, psychologically over Nell and the others. Um, but you know, most of all Nell. Yeah. but with, if, if, if you're thinking about the house as, as, as property, as, um, mm. as an item that is invested with um value and to yeah. which kathy and not just financial value but also social value especially in america i think there's well, this massive culture of owning as the absolute pinnacle of success yeah and just um you know what a house means yeah exactly in, in those contexts then i think looking at it as a, as a financial allegory you then start to see um the supernatural presence in quite a different way you know like poltergeist mm. activity then becomes a really interesting metaphor for loss of money you know money's being stolen and taken away and and um the house itself mm. is is the the embodiment of of their assets their financial assets being kind of like liquefied yeah. uh, not liquefied the opposite they're being kind <laughs> of held in place you know they are mm. tied to the land in a financial mm. sense they're they're money is trapped inside the house and they're trapped alongside the house so they're trapped that... in the house alongside with them their money sorry i'm babbling <laughs> no it's okay no worries do you think that the fact that um obviously it's probably reasonably explicit in amityville because there's so much folks and so much conversation about money obviously the money goes missing but perhaps mm. the entire haunted house genre in general could arguably especially again like i said american films so of course not only in america um they're so destabilizing and they're so threatening because they take this space which obviously is not only supposed to be kind of a space of not just physical security but also financial security because it's an asset and mm. they turn it into this threatening kind of unstable zone mm. which also actually again in Amityville has literal financial consequences and again like I said in terms of social capital Having Absolutely, the house, yeah. Again, it's also seen as like the ultimate symbol of stability. Yeah, that's such a good point. I think when you buy a house, you're 
wanting to you're, you're trying to conf- conform to an idea of, of safety security success that you know mm. you've you've received from culture you know and when the house bites back at you or when you find yourself trapped in the house because i think that's also very interesting is the the dichotomy mm. between um safety and security being like being stable somewhere but then also being trapped somewhere i think that's a very yeah. fine line and I think with houses especially because they represent so much in terms of escaping the external um, and and dangers coming from outside. When the danger starts mm. coming from inside and and especially from below, you know, that's um, particularly terrifying. Yeah, so exactly. I think yeah, if the house represents the uh, a kind of a, a a shelter from evil, mm. and if the house ends up being perhaps not evil in itself, because I think that's more the realm of the haunting and and hill house but if the house ends up being a conduit for evil or a bridge to Mm -hmm. to some kind of plane of evil then it's particularly horrifying and disturbing i think and that's why amityville became this enormous franchise and had this huge impact on horror was because Mm. of the power of that trope you know it's just it is very powerful and even though it's very hackneyed now you know we've seen this in so (laughs) many different forms you still think wow you know this is actually it has the power to threaten still because i think it's just so it really taps into something Mm. very deep-seated in our psyche oh lord hear my prayer and hasten to answer me And just to pick up on something you said just um, mm. about the house, not necessarily in this case, the house not as an evil in itself, but as a conduit for evil. Mm. What do you think about the kind of thing? So, you know, for example, there's a scene where George and his business partner and his business partner is like supernatural wife uh, doing all their <laughs> research. Supernatural wife, that's the wrong word to use. You know what I mean? She's sensitive. <laughs> um, and they're doing all their research in the library and they find out that um the house was originally built on a native american burial ground what do you think this in particular do you think the implication is therefore that the land that the house is built on rather than it being literally the timber of the house itself it's the land and it's kind of especially within the american context a kind of cursed history mm. of um american settlers and native americans that is kind of the root cause of this haunting what do you think about the implications of that well i think it it, it is funny when you watch it because you you're so used to the idea of oh the house is built on the native american burial ground and this kind of thing and you're like oh this is ridiculous you know um Mm. you just see this all the time but this was i am pretty i'm confident that this was um the first film to do this um Mm -hmm. And I think when it happens in The Shining, because it's a it's a it's a big part of the kind of the, the sort of supernatural justification uh, of The Shining and the the evil within the hotel, is that it's also built on an American Indian sorry Native American um, burial mm-hmm. ground. Then that ended up being influenced by Jay Anson's book. I think Stephen King actually read The Amityville Horror and then he took ah, that okay. and then he, I didn't know he, that he melded it with. Um, 
the idea of a haunted hotel. So, so why do you think this is so compelling to audiences and to other writers? The idea that, oh, of course, that makes so much sense for it, for the haunting to stem from this kind of history. Well, I, I think, I'm not sure what you think, but I think it connects very much to kind of settler fear and... and mm. I, I think it kind of ties back into what we were saying about the anxiety around houses in general, mm. but also with kind of the added anxiety mm. of um, kind of white Americana and mm. kind of, you know, their idea of America, manifest destiny, kind of belonging. Absolutely, yeah. In a kind of religious sense mm. to them, to it's the settlers. A very, it's a very mm. American issue, I think. because I think it's interesting as well, yeah, that the... Catholic. Oh, I'm actually starting to have an idea about why does that Catholic subplot now? But because Ooh. the idea of America being this land for white settlers to take was um, justified mm. by religious beliefs, mm. I think there is perhaps this also perhaps therefore there's this association of um, also a burial ground as well. That's also obviously a place of religious rites. Mm. So Native American religious rites kind of coming into conflict with these Christian beliefs mm. kind of actually there's this anxiety about them perhaps actually much in the same way that the haunting presence in Amityville mm. kind of overpowers the priest. Perhaps it ties into this wider white anxiety about um ideas of like Native American curses and revenge mm. somehow still being a threat, somehow overpowering um, the settler status quo. Mm. Sorry, it just, it just all came to me. That's that's, re that's in really interesting, yeah. <laughs> I really like that because then then it leads you to think about whether the, like what we're seeing in the Amityville horror, the, the, the evils, quote unquote, are maybe they're evils because they're being approached from the perspective of Catholicism and from from a lens that can only perceive them as as a threat to the the kind of the spiritual stability and 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 mm. uh, the, the the spiritual hegemony of of um, Catholicism and especially yeah. in in a land like America where it does mm. it has a non-white history that is kind of being uh, silenced and sort of pushed pushed away yeah. pushed downwards pushed into the earth even mm. um and it's this idea above ground that obviously like christianity has won white settlers have won mm. but there's perhaps there's still this underlying anxiety this underlying threat of mm. actually that not necessarily being the case mm. well um that essay um there's an essay by uh daryl katarine uh called mm. airs through fear and she brings up the Amityville horror and contextualizes it with um, a couple of other pieces of literature that you know utilize the trope of Native American burial grounds and as as a, as a source of horror or um, psychological mm. um, uh, issues yeah. uh, regarding you know the the experiences of uh, of uh, white Americans. And she says that well, I'll quote here. Uh, feeling terrorised by the ground beneath one's feet became for some a hallmark of being authentically American. So I mm. thought that was quite, that was very uh, pithy. Um, and that kind of connects to that idea of something um, about possession and something being yours yeah. and coming from, coming from Europe and um, sort of establishing a colony or a, or a or sort of a new system outside of the old system and coming to a new place you're confronted with this idea of a possession and like 
can something ever truly be yours can territory ever really be yours and um are you always fighting to control it are you, is it is it bound into this idea of something primal and evil that needs to be um suppressed and then that connects very nicely and almost quite in a Freudian way into, into the fact that so many of these films involve traveling downwards into the basement, which is the space of the subconscious, isn't it? And, Mm. and being close to the earth and, and what the earth is remembering and what the surface has kind of forgotten or represses what, what it keeps below. Come and go through here. There does seem to be an awful lot of basement scenes. Oh, not only, well, obviously in Amityville Horror, kind of the climax. Mm. Half happens in the basement. You know, like you said, it is also a little bit of a disappointing end. But say basements again keep on cropping up in these haunted house films that keeps on being this theme of going down closer to the earth didn't mm. it the, the earth has been this kind of more primitive place mm. where all of the kind of non-civilized things that the surface have forgotten mm. can actually kind of proliferate and climb back up so no, I think that you're absolutely right. And I think that even in films where obviously, so this is a film which explicitly states, oh, you know, well, the house is on a, on a Native American burial ground. Da, da, da. Mm. I think even without that explicit theme, I agree with what you mean exactly about kind of the earth in the basement as this kind of mysterious place. And I think it is very interesting that it keeps on coming up. Like films keep on ending in the basement. Mm. Or, or the the resolution, or the the kind of the core of the evil. Well, even it, yeah. like if you think of it and how it comes from a well, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, and and it's been there for centuries. Um, and you know, Native American tribes are even trying to suppress. Yeah. And hidden. Yeah. And, and then kind of making its way back over the surface. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe we're not even haunted house films anymore. Maybe just horror films in general. Yeah. Maybe we've like uncovered the key trope. <laughs> I think it's yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, when you think about the idea of a, of a pristine or a clean exterior and then an in, an interior that's dark and corrupt and unresolved, you know, or, or impure, yeah. you know, these kinds of things. That's kind of interesting when you think about what was happening at, in America at the time, because um, mm. 112 Ocean Avenue, the house of the of the Amityville Horror can be seen as a microcosm of America at the time. Because if you think about what was happening in the 70s, it was this real sort of crucible of change you know there was so much unrest there was the civil rights unrest that was continuing there were vietnam protests there was counterculture mm. there was this kind of social this sort of teetering sense of chaos that was that was hanging around in america at that time and mm. the supernatural is such an incredible such an excellent way of evoking uh, a sense of of a of a these are kind of anxieties and again yeah. linking back to what we were saying before about um the house as a place of stability and mm. it's threatening in these haunted house films precisely because all these idea of the ideas of stability and sameness are just completely disrupted and thrown out of whack yeah mm. and and 
and and on top of that, um, when you think about where the evil's coming from in the Amityville Horror, it's coming from the house itself. It's coming from below the house. And so if yeah. you think of the house as America, the the evil's not coming from abroad, you know, and and it's coming from within. It's coming from within America. <gasps> yeah, it's bubbling yeah. up from 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 underneath. Um, and so that's that's interesting when you look at kind of like the ideology of America as as, as a place um, of of exceptionalism of of um, mm. it represents a kind of perfect opportunity that yeah. that can only be um, undercut or undermined by aggression from an external force. But if that mm. aggression is coming up or that that sense of being undermined or or, or a threat, if that's looming from below then that's even more dangerous. And then we have to question the, these ideas, you know? So mm. just I don't before know. We... I'm not slamming America when I say this. Um, the old world's just nah, as slam terrible. America as much as you want. <laughs> slam America as much as you want. I want to be fair, but um, I think that's an interesting idea of the house as the country, you know, um, mm. and coming from within rather than coming from without. <laughs> don't ever do that. To a man with an axe in his hand. I just thought maybe I could get a little help. Look what you made me do. I made you do. There's a week's worth of groceries rolling down the walk. Wait a minute till I finish this stuff. George, finish. You have got enough wood here to heat the whole South Shore. Can I ask just one more thing just before we wrap up? Um, which also kind of, I think, in a weird way, does still link in very much to this very all-American theme. Mm. The motif of the serial killer in the film, because obviously the framing device at the start is that Ronald DeFeo Jr., well, that's more of a um, spree kill or a mass kill than a serial kill. Mm. But um, obviously <laughs> he murders kill. his entire... <laughs> well, you know, there's important distinctions to make between these things. Honestly, genuinely, look it up on Wikipedia. You, you go on a serial killer page, it'll be like, eh, this this is not for people who killed more than three <laughs> people in one go. That is not a serial kill. That is a spree kill or whatever. So oh. point is, it starts with the framing device of Ronald mm. Fayo Jr. murdering his entire family did with you a say, shotgun. Did you think this was really... Um, did you think this was goofy? Because I thought it was so goofy. I, I th thought the way it was filmed was really goofy. Was but then at the same time, it is ultimately true. Like as much as we, we might think that George and Kathy Lutz basically made a lot of it up for money. Again, mm. onto the financial anxiety thing. Well, I guess Whoa. it made them a lot of money. They had a whole Whoa. telling the story made them a lot of money, didn't it? Mm. That's actually, wow. But also it is true. They did they did live in the house where Ronald Fair Jr. did murder everyone. Yeah, I think true. this is the thing. In the 60s, 70s, 80s, there seemed to be this entire massive culture in America of serial killers just being completely normalised. You know? Mm. I, yeah, what so do you I mean? Think, again, well, say for example, I don't know if you've ever read any of these articles, but I have because I get bored <laughs> sometimes. But they'll say things like, why are there so few serial killers these days compared to the 60s, 70s, 80s? And there'll be all these theories, etc., about um, World War II, like emotionally stunting the children of um, fathers who never came home, etc. Mm. But the point is, at this time, That's I think it is actually genuinely true that in this period, there were just a higher proportion of serial killers and spree killers in the news mm. in America at the time. So I think, again, this can link back to what you said about kind of the general destabilization of American society in general at this point. It's kind of feeling of being constantly threatened. Mm. And mm. like, yeah, and, and 
I guess a serial killer is is one of the ultimate embodiments of of yeah. of, of chaos because it's it's like ah there's there's this mm-hmm. just this it, they're evading the police you know yeah and what, again it's coming from within well, it's yeah. someone who looks like a normal person exactly and yeah. yeah and and they're getting away with it again they'll just mm-hmm. be they'll they'll mm. jump out and grab you and and do you think as well there's kind of this framing of Ronald DeFeo Jr. Again, I do think this is kind of weird because he was a real... So was George... Everyone in this film was a real person. So I do find sometimes sometimes talking about it, it does feel a bit strange. But yeah. do you think that Ronald DeFeo Jr. is also kind of framed as like a, this is what George could become? Absolutely, If the, if yeah. the house gets to him. Yeah, because yeah. Um, the film constantly picks up on the fact that he looks remarkably similar yeah. um, to Ronald DeFeo Jr. Like he's almost a doppelganger um Mm. maybe that's going too far but then also in the scene when they 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 discover the red room in the basement which is some kind of i don't know the the psychic wife she um that's actually such a terrible way of describing this person i called it a supernatural wife before don't worry psychic wife is way better psychic wife sounds like a great tv show i'd watch psychic wife um Mm -hmm. but the psychic wife sort of does this thing about like this is the entrance to hell it's uh, and (laughs) Okay, yeah, but... Oh, I've just had an idea. You know how we were talking before about the kind of stupid bit where it's almost like a mirror in the wall and his yeah. eyes just appear back at him? Yeah, it, Maybe it that's Ronald DeFeo Jr. <gasps> well, this Maybe is the thing, is that they're kind of indistinguishable. Up. Like, yeah. there's a lot of... There's interesting stuff going on there, which I thought... And the idea of... Um, the idea of George going down into the basement, finding this, like, secret, evil, creepy compartment and then looking in and then seeing himself there... Um, mm. is super. I think that's that's an interesting aspect because then you literally have the evil. You have the complete, mm. like the other. You know, you have the yeah the, the 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 thing that should be the furthest away from you. The evil, the aggression is actually you. You know, it's coming mm. from within. So and at the same time, that evil is also kind of refracted in the past. Like again, it's that whole thing of this coming within. Like it's like America's past, the mm. house's past mm. can mm. also be its like violent, bloody past. Can also be its present mm. in the same way that america um is kind of destabilized like there's this idea that you know america the american status quo is one but now it's actually being destabilized and perhaps it's not one after all and things are going to go back to square one mm. in the same way and that's still america looking at itself george is looking at himself but he's also looking at ronald fair jr mm. the symbol of the houses violent bloody past mm. and therefore yeah. simultaneously the potential future so you have past you know? and yeah, that's a yeah awesome I I completely agree yeah you have present and past kind of collapsing into each other you have yeah. internal and external kind of getting merged then you have George merging with the house and with the past mm. and with this other guy you know and like I everything's just becoming horribly um, twisted into one uh, and that relates as well back to the idea of you know America being. Mm a kind of the, intended as the sort of the epitome of, of progress, mm. you know, and moving forwards and developing on from the old world and, and um, achieving what Europe couldn't achieve and creating a new space, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But if, if, if yeah. America itself is, is doomed to, to like, you know, like all other, like the rest of humanity, if, if America is doomed mm. to repeat the past or doomed to slip back into itself mm. and, and kind of enter this kind of closed loop circuit, then, that's terrifying and that undercuts everything that we were that was hoped for from that from 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 the country 
I'm coming apart! Oh, mother of God, I'm coming apart! Wow, I think that I think that was a really good discussion. I really mm. enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Oh no, I absolutely it was awesome. And I'm surprised actually that we managed to I think when I went into it, obviously, because like we were saying at the start, I used to feel used a lot of the tropes that have just become kind of common sense now in mm. horror films. Mm. Perhaps when I was watching it, there was kind of the sense of, yeah, yeah, this is your generic yeah. haunted house film. But actually, when you look under the surface, there's loads to talk about. There is, there is. It, it there? is interesting. Um but can we can we just cycle back to the the, the shotgun sequence because I have a big problem. <laughs> I do have a big problem, uh, and I wonder if you might have the same problem. So he goes from room to room shooting them with a shotgun. You know his mm-hmm. kids and his wife. Um, how do they not hear? Yeah, everyone else is just asleep. Everyone's like, uh, because. Uh. But in, like it happened in real life, so it must have. Hang on, actually. Please excuse me, listeners, if you can hear typing right now, but it doesn't matter. I'm just going to Google the real Ronald DeFeo Jr. and see whether that's how it went down in real life. Because the and the film really, I'm only I'm only making an issue of this because the film really hams up the way that he goes from room to room, like kind of slowly and mm-hmm. like thoughtfully, you know, which is creepy in itself. But he moves yeah. from one to you know room to room very deliberately and it's kind of plodding pace, and then just like shoots them. And of course, it's like a a fucking loud shotgun. Um, yeah, and everyone... How are they not waking up? Well, apparently... <laughs> I'm it... on a Wikipedia page now of real life. Okay. And um, physical evidence suggests that his mother and one of his sisters were awake at the time of their deaths. So uh... presumably they had been... In real life, they did wake up. See? this? Okay, so I was right yeah. to have an issue with that. Um, exactly. And then... and Okay, so it's not only... It not only shows the the you know the shots of people getting killed whilst they're asleep once but then when Kathy and George are being led around the house right by the estate agent mm. they then replay kind of tiresomely they replay the shots of of the Ugh, shotgun yeah. being shot in each room that they walk into and you're like yeah okay I get it yeah I completely agree with you it's quite a goofy framing device and again at the same time I feel bad that it's so goofy because I'm like this is a real poor family well yeah it's so easy to remember to forget that actually this all really happened did you know actually as well that um ronald defeo died in march 2021 just recently really yeah i'm gonna it doesn't say what of but i'm gonna i'm gonna headcanon it as covid (laughs) oh god well at least we can finally put that real life story to rest but again i do feel i feel kind of bad for the real life founded it's so kind of sensationalized and absolutely shot so stupidly. Yeah. i completely agree with you yeah. yeah um but then i guess that's i need to be careful here i don't want to um promote or endorse the idea of you know real life stories of trauma and tragedy being you know kind of um sensationalized and then spun out for the masses but yeah it it just is what happens you know when you think of folklore you know is full of just like horrible 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 stuff happening but then Mm. it gets you know spun out and and you become removed from it and it becomes sensationalized and and then it takes on this sort of sense of kind of myth you know um and when you think of Ronald DeFeo you don't think of well especially when it's made into a film like and a book Mm. and then 15 more films and then whatever else was made with it um 
when you think of Ronald DeFeo, you just think of this kind of mythical figure. You don't think of a mm. of an actual person going into people, you know, children's rooms and shooting his own kids, you know. Um, mm. But he's a real man, and also at the same time, um, there was um, actually no, that's a complete lie. I was going to say there was one surviving member, and I was like, wait, no, the surviving member was Ronald DeFeo himself. <laughs> yeah, did you know he went? He reported the crime himself. He was like, oh, some some lunatic has just shot my parents. Did he do it and as they, like? Did he go they like, oh, someone... Did he try and lie and pretend he didn't do it? Or did he go like that weird thing where he's like, I just shot my family? No, he was like... Apparently said, you gotta help me. I think my mother and father are shot. Oh, God. Allegedly. And then, yeah, but then the police managed to um, coax and he confessed, so... Yikes. We're pretty sure he did it. Yikes. Yeah, because that, that's exactly... I mean, I know we mentioned The Shining already once, but... Ronald DeFeo must be the kind of analogue. I mean, I know it, it must have happened more times than just one, but I think mm. the Amityville horror and just like the, the way that it's influenced popular culture and the way that Stephen King used the Amityville horror book as the kind of source um, text for The Shining, then surely Ronald mm. DeFeo Jr. Uh, must be some kind of, you know, he, he's the base for um, Jack and Jack's own sort of, the sort of the prophesied killing spree that, that almost happens in The Shining, but then is averted, of course. But in the same way as the Amityville. So I think mm. I've never re- I've never would have thought of putting them together, but they do they do make a lot of sense as that couple. And as, you know, one being There's all these the connections precursor. that you don't even think of mm. between horror films, baguette horror films. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us this week for this episode on the Amityville Horror. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it and please join us next week for episode five of the six-part houses series where we'll be looking at Nobuhiko Obayashi's house from 1977. Don't forget to subscribe and stay safe.